Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be looking at key market themes and a number of UK equities. And to do that, we have with us once more, Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Good morning, John. Good to be back. Thank you. Alan, we spoke last week in the midst of astronomical uh, volatility in markets. Now, that was just following the mini budgets that we had delivered um, shortly before that. And, you know, we, we asked the question at that point in time, you know, is it a time to be stepping back into markets? We looked at Lloyd's in particular, as well as Taylor Wimpy. And you know, looking at what we've seen so far, we, we have seen a rebound in markets. Now, of course, the UK government have uh, U-turned on their pledge to abolish the top level of tax here in the UK. That did give um, markets a little bit of uh, a cheer because you know it suggested they were going to possibly roll back some of their other me- measures and, and maybe not be as radical with their their spending plan. But of course, we're, not, we're yet to see the OBR forecast. That's key. But then, yep. you know, it, it's up in the air when we're actually going to be going to be seeing those because you know they're talking about bringing it forward. And you know, if you're watching the and conservative conference, everybody seems to be on very different hymn sheets at the moment. Mm. So it's it's quite difficult to actually know when we're going to get that, Alan. But you know, looking at you know what we've seen since last week, uh, I mean, if we do see a continued uh, you know breakdown and rollback of the of the measures and, and new turns, I mean, do you think you could see? positivity in UK assets going forward or, or do you think that this bounce that we've seen in the last week could pre- prove to be a dead cap bounce? I don't think it's going to be a dead cap bounce. Um, of course, it's in, you know, really, it's incredibly responsible of the government to push a budget out um, without uh, being accompanied by a formal OBR forecast, you know, the, the Office of Budget Responsibility. Those those um, forecasts really have to sit alongside um, the the measures that uh, the government are introducing, and I think this is where difficulties arisen. There's there's of course a new a new um, uh, um, administration in place, and they had an opportunity to really stamp their authority, um, you know, and and take a step away from the previous uh, Johnson administration. And um, they've only made things worse, and I think uh, blown their credibility at the outset. But having said that. Um, uh, we've got a cocktail of uh, of issues that uh, the government having to deal with, of course, um, cost inflation, uh, burgeoning, continuing to energy price inflation um, due to Putin and the and the ongoing war in um, in in the Ukraine. Um, of course, the issue with uh, gas supply um, and a whole raft of other matters that the government having to battle with. So, um, uh, in the run up to the Trust administration, of course. Rishi Sunak was advising caution on uh, on managing um, uh, on managing tax cuts and and uh, and uh, forecasting and everything else. Um, and I think, in hindsight, now probably had Rishi got in with his packages instead of Liz, Liz Truss, uh, we might be looking at a far more stable market and uh, and a market that uh, would have given us uh, a far 
greater amount of uh, international credibility. But of course, um, um, nonetheless, we have a very strong market in London. We've seen this incredible volatility because we're still waiting for those budgetary forecasts. And at the moment, it's very much the traders market. Um, the pound, of course, has recovered sharply against the dollar. Um, and uh, the hope is that uh, that what comes out of the Tory conference this week uh, will give a little more visibility going forward. Um, but they've got a huge job on their hands. But uh, nonetheless, you know, there are some opportunities um, uh, in the marketplace. Um, traders are having a field day at the moment. Um, and, uh, you know, ultimately, um, uh, ultimately, you know, London is still seen as the go-to place for companies to raise money. Um, and as we'll see a bit later on in our discussions, if you get it right, it can be a very lucrative um, opportunity for shareholders. Indeed, indeed. I mean, when we're looking at these markets now, of course, there was two stocks that we picked up last week, but they, they, you know, there's many out there, and we've seen that bounce back in in markets. It's not only here in the UK; it is over in the United States as well. I mean, do you think that there's maybe, Alan, at the moment? You know, yes, we everybody's been focusing on the UK, and there were sort of talks at one point of the UK potentially causing a, a global crisis. And you know, sort of looking at the, the measures that the Bank of England yeah. have taken, I think that's probably been uh, averted. But I mean, I think there's two things here. I mean, do you think this will damage the perception of UK assets, you know, particularly, you know, FTSE 100 companies to overseas investors going forward? And, you know, sort of looking at, you know, where we are on the FTSE, we have seen a quite a strong bounce back. Yeah. You know, we're, we're trading yeah. now above 7,000. There was a a base sort of put in around that 6,800 level. So you've obviously got one side of it, you know, that there's that perception of of UK assets, the FTSE 100, but there's also that defensive nature Mm. of the the FTSE 100, obviously with with being financial um, stocks and then benefiting from from higher interest rates. Do you think this builds a situation where we could see um, you know, the, the FTSE 100 just tread water simply for, for, for a number of months. Well, I think it'll, yeah, I think it'll tread water. And as we're seeing today, I mean, we, uh, the FTSE opened at um, just over 7.040, I think, and uh, popped up to 7.060. It's now just dipped back below 7,000 again. So it's all over the place. Um, and I think uh, as the, as the, the, the French, uh, the, the French uh, uh, Chancellor uh, said himself, you know, he was very worried about the UK economy, but he was worried about it because of the there was a, an absolute vacuum of leadership at the top um, when right now there should be strong leadership. Um, but in regard to the companies listed on the FTSE 100, you know, the, these are these are great global companies and they're run by you know, they're run by great people. Um, and as I've said before in previous podcasts, you know, the companies continue to do what they do. Um, the, the share price, of course, might tell a different story. But the fact is that uh, that uh, in their markets, they're still doing the very best they can do, <clears throat> along with, um, you know, some, some great people that, um, that help to grow these companies and create prosperity. So, no, I'm not worried about the FTSE in the short term. Yeah, we will see some volatility i believe and i think we'll see it trade between um between these uh it, within the trading range with um you know possibly 6800 as a floor um but um there's still every every prospect that as we get nearer december we could see a bit of a santa rally in the run up to christmas um and of course we're going to be talking about some of those retailers who, where the focus will be 
in the short term. Um, but of course, uh, it is a very tough time with cost inflation and with families uncertain about the sort of um, the cost they're going to be facing over the next few months. Indeed, indeed. And we're going to start off today, Alan, with probably one of the most anticipated uh, sets of results that we get from, from FTSE 100 companies, because it, you know, it does give a broad insight into the health of the, the UK economy in particular, and that's Tesco's. I'm looking at their shares this morning and down slightly, not a huge amount, so two, three percent, but they've had their interims out. What do they look like? Yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I mean, everything's slightly down on the first half uh, performance of, of last year. So these, of course, uh, compared to last year, um, group sales have actually risen, which is great. So up 3.1% actual rates and the constant rate, um, 3.5%. Um, seen a fall in, sorry, fall in operating profits, um, Tesco bank numbers down slightly, uh, retail cash flow. Um, but uh, but overall, it's a pretty it's a pretty robust performance, and you'd expect that from Tesco because, of course, it still has the largest share. Um, and what it's able to do with the economies of scale, and of course, it also um, owns uh, owns Booker as well, the the uh, cash and carry uh, um, uh, organization. Um, the although profits are down, the company is able to focus uh, on. The, the competition, of course, that's coming from the likes of Aldi and Lidl. Um, and they, they've got, uh, they have an Aldi price match offering, um, low everyday prices. And, you know, um, these cover 8,000 sort of household products week in, week out. So they, they're in a very good position to attract customers simply because of their pricing. And that's what um, Ken Murphy, the chief executive, said um, that they're, they're, they're looking to do. Customers are facing a tough time watching every penny to make ends meet. So they're laser focused on that value, uh, value and price matching going forward, and it's, it seems to be working for them. You know that, that they have a good, strong, a good, strong uh, uh, um, uh, 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 reach of uh, of um, stores across the UK and petrol stations, and uh, they they they're very much entrenched in the UK. As, as the go-to retail outlet. Um, and I think uh, there's some confidence in the group going forward. Um, they raised the interim dividend from 3.2p last time to 3.85p, and that, that's up 20%. And that, to me, signals that they're very confident that despite it, what, what's coming their way in terms of price inflation, in terms of uh, increased energy prices and uncertainty, uh, they will be able to... to uh, to, to ride out the, the the challenges on costs and be able to offer um, be able to, to to provide a competitive retail offering to to the marketplace and that's that's vital um, and is vital and I think it, you know that's um, when a company like Tesco's puts out a signal like that that gives other retailers confidence um, which mean because it means people will be going to superstores so of course all the all of the um, the the uh, Stores that are, are located near the Tesco's will see some spin-off benefit from that too. But um, it, it's going to be it's going to be tough on going forward. Um, but I think uh, I think where Tesco is, um, given its guide uh, its uh, guidance is now reduced slightly for the two, full year to two point four billion billion pounds for the full year. Um, I think uh, you know they've they've built in they've built in I think a margin for the uncertainty going forward and um, any other shocks that might 
come in terms of uh, energy price increases increases and anything else so it's certainly um it, it, i don't hold tesco i used to hold tesco shares but i will be looking at this now as a hold i know the the share price is slightly down this morning um it's down um it, it obviously it's had a seen a big drop over the past year and we're down 1.8 percent today so far but i think uh, given that there's a five point three percent dividend yield and the group has raised the dividend i think going forward um this is certainly one to carry on carry on holding yes yes and i'm just looking at the dividend here up 20 percent there in line with their dividend policy there of paying um, interim dividend of 35% of the prior full year dividend. So so one for income investors there, you know, it's not, not the best yield you can get out there in the FTSE 100, um, but certainly a company like Tesco's that has the reliable cash flows, as you've outlined, Alan. Um, you know, one that's maybe, you know, for, for an investor that's maybe seeking some stability in these, in these uh, volatile times, uh, maybe one to look at for the dividend. So now moving on, Alan, we've got a company that's come to market with a backdrop of, of volatility here and, and also in a particularly challenging sector. However, this IPO has been nothing but successful. If you look at the IPO price and where it's trading now, um, and they had uh, an update yesterday, which we're going to go through. It's first class metals, Alan. Uh, would you be able to give us a, a brief rundown of them and where they are now? Certainly. I, I mean, this is if you want to IPO your company and you want to learn how to do it, this company has written the book on it. They've just had um, a, a phenomenal time. They came to market um, in the summer uh, with a valuation of six and a half million sterling. And they IPO'd at 10p. And uh, share price, as I'm looking at it now live, is just over 15p. Um, and uh, for all uh, shareholders involved in the IPO, um, I was also lucky enough to take part in that. There are warrants um, as well within that. So we're going to see, I think, a lot of warrants exercise in the coming weeks and months, but um, with good reason. Um, so uh, First Class Metals have a package of um, assets within the Schreiber Hamlo Greenstone Belt, which is it's a very fertile uh, it's a very fertile mineral belt on the north coast of Lake Superior. Um, it's uh, some of the assets are close to the Barrick Hemlo or uh, a gold or, or the Barrick Hemlo gold mine. Uh, Twenty one million ounces of gold total production to date, and there are a bunch of other assets around there. The Sugar Zone to the east, seventy million ounces of gold. Um, and uh, many other uh, gold mines and uh, mines under exploration currently um, or, or uh, under construction rather um, along that belt. Um, there have been two announcements this week that have really driven the price. Um, yesterday, we uh, the company announced um, that in, in as, as well as the, uh, the existing developing the existing assets it has, it's um, it's uh, the. It's moved into a potential acquisition transaction with UNSCO Resources for the Sunbeam project, which is also in Ontario. And this consists of three different um, gold mining operations, Sunbeam, Pettigrew and the Roy Mines. Um, and uh, the, the Sunbeam mine, there's an awful lot of history there. There are images on that announcement of the mine in operation in 1905. Um, and uh, indeed, there is... There's already uh, the, 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 there's already um, some fifty to seventy thousand tons of uh, gold at thirteen grams 
per ton remaining in the old workings in there. So so this is hugely exciting. It's as though the company's moved from being an explorer almost to, to becoming a producer. And this is this is quite a, a rarity, and it just shows the caliber of the of the of the board and the team involved in bringing this to market. Um, in addition, the in addition the the purchase or, or the, the acquisition costs, which will be at about a million, will be financed by a convertible loan note from long term shareholders, Sanderson and capital partners, and also Afsal Varley. Um, and uh, this is. This is great news because it means that um, there will be no further dilution from existing shareholders. So existing shareholders in in the company will see the benefits of this as as some as the Sunbeam asset develops. But um, if you read the if you read the uh, the announcement from yesterday, look at the grades, look at the history of these uh, of these assets. Um, this is a huge addition to the group and uh, one that materially changes the valuation of the group alone. As if that weren't enough, um, the going back to the original assets the group has, uh, it's the the flagship asset is the Hemlo North asset, and this is contiguous to um, to um, a series of assets to the northeast of the Barrick Hemlo mine, uh, owned by Palladium One, and there's a joint venture with Palladium One on an area called Pickle Lake. Uh, drilling had taken place there, and um, uh, the the area was prospective for nickel and copper and and uh, massive what, what referred to by the by first class as massive nickel copper sulfides and indeed the assays that came back from the first drill hole uh, drilled there were of exceptionally high grade four point eight percent nickel three point seven percent copper copper so that's a six point eight percent nickel equivalent over. 1.8 meters, and that's a that's a huge step forward and a huge endorsement for uh, an asset that I know Mark Sale, the CEO, and his team were very excited about uh, going forward. But but uh, I think uh, when the company came to market, they promised uh, a literal avalanche of news flow, and they're absolutely delivering. And I think um, I think the the way the company's planned out its uh, its um, its exploration work, the way the company's planned out its news flow, the delivery of its news flow across social media. If any company is looking to list, look at what these guys have done. They've actually written the book on it. But also what it does show is that uh, if an IPO is organized correctly, um, then shareholders, um, shareholders, uh, Stand to stand to uh, take part in in something that's hugely profitable. So already, people that participated in the IPO, their you know their their investments are worth um, are, are up fifty percent. Um, plus, they have the warrants and everything that go with it. So, um, when you're looking at an IPO, obviously do your do, do your homework. Look, look at it correctly. Look at the look at the people involved. Look at the board. Um, because I think if you looked at first class from the outset, particularly as they were one of the last companies to come to market uh, on the London main market, of course the benchmark for listing is uh, is now thirty million minimum. They they were just through in time. They 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 got their application through just in time, so they were able to list on the London main market with a six and a half million market cap. But hugely exciting, and still very much a sense that we're just right at the start of the journey with first class metals. So well done, guys. Yes, yes, certainly. Looking at that price, um, maybe a conservative IPO price there, but certainly for those investors now, we're very happy 
uh, with being involved in that. And it's not often that you see an IPO um, trade at such a premium in such a short uh, uh, period of time. So it'll be interesting to see how that performs going forward and, and certainly bucking the trend of what's been um, quite a subdued uh, junior explorer yep, sector so far this year. So staying on commodities now, Alan, we're going to move to the North Sea and Deltic Energy. They've got a, a number of assets there. And, and of course, with the, a backdrop of the, the energy crisis and, and the UK obviously wanting to secure more domestic uh, sources of energy, uh, you know, their assets there are you know, really coming into play. So we'd like to give us a, you know, a brief breakdown of Deltic Energy, please, Alan, and what has been you know, quite interesting developments recently. Yeah, so this is, as you saw, the backdrop of the, um, of the current energy crisis and steps the government are taking to resolve this. Um, on Monday this week, uh, I did mention this on, on another channel, but um, on Monday this week, there was an article in the Financial Times um, that the government have decided to fast track North Sea gas field permits uh, to boost UK production. And uh, most years, the government, as we know, um, uh, uh, has a licensing round for for assets um, and um, and uh, fields for exploration in the North Sea and other areas. And there's this is the thirty third licensing round uh, for companies. And obviously, with this the special boost and the special priority that um, that uh, the government are placing on this, it's hugely important. Um, and certainly, the um, chief executive of the North Sea Transition Authority. Uh, Andy Samuels said they would fast track applications for discoveries in the Southern North Sea um, and uh, they expect to grant, I think, up to 100 permits. So I've looked at the companies engaged in the North Sea. Obviously, there are some big players, but I think uh, I think also there are opportunities for uh, small companies, micro caps to, you know, if they win these licenses um, and they have a good portfolio of assets to really exponentially grow their business and Deltic I think looks a really really good example so Deltic Energy is currently worth 62 million um, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's uh, on the London May market the shares are currently trading at three and a half P or 3.3 P uh, been a size 4.2 P on the year just can't come back off recent year highs to to uh, and uh, a year low back in uh, back at, in December last year of, of 1.85p. Deltic has um, a number of assets. Um, it it, uh, it has it's two, it's two. I guess you'd say flagship assets are the Pensacola Exploration Well, uh, with uh, which is uh, w- that's a joint venture with Shell. They're due to commence drilling on on that well in October this year. And they're targeting there an estimated 309 billion cubic feet of natural gas. So, you know, if they tap into that, as as hoped for and expected, that's going to be hugely important um, as a supply for UK gas. If they can, if they can tap into it in, in time for the end of the year, of course, the the, um, uh, the the upcoming winter of discontent. So the Pensacola exploration well. If you look at the wells, if you go to the Deltic website, there's a map which shows the location of the wells. And from the wash in Norfolk upwards, they these wells are dotted just off the just off the uh, eastern coast of the UK, all the way up to all the way up to to uh, just south of Scotland. So the the second uh, what Deltic referred to as a company making exploration well is the Saline Prospect, which uh, contains an estimated three hundred eighteen billion cubic feet of natural gas. 
Um, so those two alone coming on stream are they're going to, it's going to be a a company changing event, but also be hugely important for the UK and of course uh, UK gas supplies going forward. Um, there's another joint joint venture, the Delta Capricorn joint venture um, has five north uh, five north uh, licenses in the southern north sea um and uh it's currently taking delivery of new 3d seismic data on one of those licenses um and also there's the Saras Pro- prospect in the central north sea uh the company's just undertaken a farm out process with that and um what the company's done over the uh, over the summer it's prepared for this UK offshore licensing round that I mentioned at the start, and it's looking. To, it says it said it in the interim results. Uh, it's looking to further strengthen and diversify its portfolio. Uh, at the end of that period, the company had a strong balance sheet, but um, a few weeks ago, the company announced a raising ahead of this licensing round. It raised 15 million in the markets with a 2p open offer for investors as well. So a really smart move from the group. And uh, that means it's, it's positioned to progress the Pensacola and Saline wells. And also, of course, it's in pole position now for the licensing round. And certainly Graham Swindells, the chief executive there, said that, you know, in the interim results, very excited and pr- uh, about the outlook for the company, very proud of what they'd achieved in the year so far. You know, Pensacola and Saline, uh, uh, prospects alone contain over six hundred billion cubic feet of natural grass, na- natural gas, and um, you know it's going to be an incredibly exciting couple of months. And I think the fact that the share price has come off these these year highs, obviously the money's now raised, so they're preparing now to uh, to undertake that drilling, and of course uh, uh, bid uh, bid for these licensing assets in the Southern North Sea in this licensing round. I think the company is uh, you know poised. On, it's on the verge of great things, and I think there, there could be a material change in the valuation of the company in the coming months. It's quite interesting at the moment, Alan, because we're starting to see, you know, after a long period of fossil fuels really falling out of out of favour, not so much oil, but definitely gas and and, and UK gas assets coming back in into vogue. I mean, do you think this is something that's sustainable going past you know whenever it may be the the end of the conflict in in ukraine or do you think this is something that you know maybe here for the next sort of 10 to 15 years well i think uh, i think this debate's been raging on for for for, for uh, the last couple of years of course with the with the moves to uh, sustainable energy and clean energy um uh, companies are now looking to uh, change course and um so so i so many people will be asking, well, why are we talking about a, a company that is purely engaged in oil and gas exploration? And and the reason to me is clear. I, I think the the idea that we're going to switch to uh, fully uh, to, to clean energy resources completely in the next ten to fifteen years is is, is daft. I, I it, you, we're entrenched in our our our, our consumer uh, infrastructure. The supply infrastructure is entrenched in the supply of oil and gas, so it's going to take, uh, I think, uh, a generation or two for that to fully, fully change. Um, and of course, you know, the evidence is all around us. We're seeing wind farm generators. We're seeing uh, new technology in clean energy starting to contribute to supply. Um, but nonetheless, um, where 
where the infrastructure, the consumer infrastructure is so firmly based around the consumption of oil and gas, uh, you know, that is going to take, um, I think, uh, several generations to change. So um, to, to my mind, um, in my opinion, I think companies like this, particularly given that we now have this uh, new imperative to find alternative oil and gas suppliers. I think this is hugely important. I think companies like Deltic, and I think Deltic is probably one of the purest forms or one of the purest examples of companies engaged in that process. And it's just, it's if you like, uh, it, it it's in pole position because it has these assets, it's developing them, and all of a sudden this energy crisis has arrived and it's got an opportunity to ramp up its uh, its its production, its exploration, um, and per se, the size of the company. Indeed, indeed. And there's a, there's a few companies out there operating in UK natural gas, which we'll be watching closely and maybe we'll be discussing on the podcast in the, in the coming weeks. So just a, a rundown there of the companies that we discussed today. First of all was Tesco's, which of course has a ticker of TSCO. It was in first class metals uh, with a ticker of FCM. Of course, that was the... The recent IPO, and we finished off there with the UK natural gas explorer, Deltic Energy, with a ticket of D-E-L-T. Alan, thank you much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, John. So just as a note to listeners, we held last week uh, the latest instalment of our UK Investor Magazine virtual conferences, and the videos for those are now available on the UK Investor Magazine website in the video section. Uh, you'll find their videos from Vietnam, Holding the Investment Trust, Clean Tech Lithium, and TSX listed TRX Gold. So do check those out. Some, some truly fascinating presentations there from those companies. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.